sort of makes you wish you had been there, does it not? But the reality for the people that were involved, we talked about this during the sunrise service, they had a tough weekend. Now, their previous week had started out pretty well, Palm Sunday. Uh, Jesus had a donkey. He rode down into Jerusalem. People were putting uh, um, palm branches in front of him and shouting out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The disciples were thinking, man, this is working out just like it's supposed to. But later on in the week, things did not go so well. After the Last Supper, uh, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He was taken to the high priest's house and, and given a legal trial. He went before Pilate, and Pilate, even though he really didn't want to, condemned him to death. The soldiers scourged him. They placed the cross on him, and he had to carry it up to Golgotha. And then he was nailed to the cross, and he, of course, died a horrible death. Torture was one of the specialties of the Romans. He died on the cross, but not only did he suffer physical pain, he suffered the emotional pain of separation from the Father and the spiritual pain of bearing the sins of the whole world. He died, then he was put into a tomb. And the disciples were not doing very well. Because of his death, of course, they thought he was the Messiah. They thought that he was going to bring a kingdom along, that he was going to take over the Roman Empire, so to speak. But Sunday morning, they got word from one of the ladies that Jesus' body was not in the tomb. They were discouraged about that. They ran to check it out. Uh, They had not really remembered what Jesus had said. He predicted it several times, that he was going to die. He was going to be buried the third day. He was going to rise again. They went back to the, to the house where they were. They were extremely discouraged until Jesus showed up. And when Jesus showed up, they recognized that the Messiah, the Christ, had risen from the dead. And we see from John chapter 20 that there were three results. Number one, gladness. They were glad when they saw the Lord. Number two, peace. Jesus said, peace, I leave with you. And then number three was purpose. He said, just as the Father sent me, so send I you. It's a great commission. Our responsibility is to go into the world and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrected Christ made all the difference in the world. And it was all because of God's love and because of God's power. Three things. Number one, God's love is amazing. Wouldn't you agree with that? One verse that comes to mind is Romans 8, 32. It's a familiar portion of Scripture. I've used it many times. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God loved us enough to let Jesus die on the cross for our sins, is he not going to do what is best for us? Now, he might not do what we want him to do, but he's going to do what is best for us. He, he loves us very much, and because of God's love, we can experience eternal life. Many times I've shared the gospel. The gospel is good news, but it starts with the bad news. The bad news is that we're sinners. We deserve to spend eternity separated from God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we have faith in him, if we believe in him and trust him as Savior and Lord, 
then we have eternal life. And this is not just found in the New Testament. It's found in the Old Testament as well. If you will, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. This is the portion of Scripture that clearly describes the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Really, the whole chapter does. I'm just going to read about four or five verses, beginning at verse number three. Think about this. Does this sound like Jesus dying on the cross? He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse number five, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Notice the last verse in that chapter. It talks about the fact that he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. Doesn't that sound like the death of Jesus? Just like the birth of Jesus was predicted years ago before he was born, so the death of Jesus was predicted. When we think about God's word, the Jews of that day thought he was going to come and be the reigning Messiah. But first he had to come and be the suffering Messiah, die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, so that if we believe, we could have everlasting life. But not only did Jesus die for our sins, he also rose Again, 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about the gospel. Paul's speaking to the church at Corinth. And he talks about the fact that the gospel is that Jesus died and was buried. He rose again and he appeared to a good number of people. He died. The proof of his death was that he was buried. He rose again. The proof of his resurrection was his appearance to various people. And the fact is that's what the gospel is all about, that Jesus died and rose again. Christianity is not just a ticket to heaven. Instead, it involves a new life on earth as well. As we think about God's love, it's because of God's love we can experience eternal life, but it's also because of God's love that we can exhibit Christ-likeness. Turn back to Romans chapter 8. We already looked at verse number 32 that talks about the fact that God didn't spare his own son but delivered him up for us all but two or three verses before that in verse number 29 it says this for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren you know God wants us to be like Jesus Christ I know our response is there's no way no way I can be like Jesus Christ and it's true That on this earth, before we die and go to heaven, we're not going to be completely like Jesus Christ. We're always going to mess up. We're always going to fail. But God wants us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. He wants us to walk like Jesus Christ walked. We can only do that as we abide in Christ, as we spend time with him. We can exhibit Christ-likeness. And really, that's the best thing for us. 
You know, when we think about God's love, God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us, not just so that we can go to heaven, but so that we can have abundant life here. And think about it for just a minute. The fruit of the Spirit is really the character of Jesus Christ worked within us. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. Does that sound pretty good? Would you like to have those characteristics? Would you like your spouse or your children or parents to have those characteristics? The reality is those are good. And as we exhibit Christ-likeness, it's an evidence of God's love for us. But because of God's love, not only can we experience eternal life and and exhibit Christ-likeness, we can also enjoy God's presence, his ongoing love. Look at Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse number 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? I mean, those are pretty significant tribulations. That would be tough times. But can those tough times, those difficult circumstances, separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is no. It goes on to say in verse number 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of God's love, we can enjoy his presence, therefore his ongoing love on a regular basis. Think about it for just a minute. When when it talks about God's love, isn't it because he is there showing us his love? We might not be able to see him with our physical eyes, but we know he's there. We know that he loves us. We know that he cares about us. We can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. His love is ongoing. You've heard of the Energizer Bunny. Have any of y'all ever bought that kind of battery? Did that battery run out for you eventually? No matter how good the advertisement is, the battery eventually goes dead if you use it. And if you don't use it, it goes dead anyway after about five or ten years or so. But the reality is that nothing can separate us from God's love, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can enjoy God's presence and his love forever and ever. So number one, God's love is amazing. Number two, God's power is amazing. You know, sometimes we have good intentions, but we can't pull off what we intend to do. Y'all ever have that situation where you intend to do something that is really significant, like lose 50 pounds or something of that nature? You really want to do it. You plan on doing it. You you decide you're going to do it, but you, you don't do it. Well, God has the power to show us love. He, can, he has the power to do anything he wants to. In fact, according to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. In other words, God is able to do anything that he wants to do. His power is amazing. Number one, the power to save. Of course, we know the gospel. We know that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, when we believe on him, we have everlasting life. But this verse came to my mind, Hebrews 7.25. It says, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him 
since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God. Does God have the power to save through Jesus Christ? He certainly does. Not only the power to save, but also the power to change us. There are a couple of verses that come to mind. One is Romans 8, 11. It says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies or give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells within you. In other words, if God was able to physically and spiritually raise Jesus Christ from the dead, then He can help us. He can give life to us. He can enable us. Another verse that talks about this is Romans chapter 6 in verse number 4. Romans chapter 6 in verse number 4. It says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Was Christ raised from the dead by the glory of the Father? He certainly was. Just as he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Did you know that when you become a Christian, you become a new creation? You have Christ within you. He enables you to live the Christian life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's encouraging that he gives us the power to change, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to become what he wants us to be. God's love is amazing. God's power is amazing. The power to save us, the power to change us, and then the power to use us, to help us to accomplish his purpose. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Sometimes what we have a tendency to say is, well, I'm not very smart. I I can't speak in public. I I, I really am a little bit hesitant to, to serve because I might fail. But the reality is, number one, God wants each and every one of us that are Christians to serve in some way, shape, or form. And then number two, he gives us the grace to do it as we depend on him. His power is amazing. Through his power, he saves us. Through his power, he changes us. Through his power, he uses us to accomplish his purpose for his honor and for his glory. God's patience is amazing. You know, God is patient with us, is he not? Now, I would imagine that you have had somebody that's been patient with you. You've probably had somebody that has been impatient with you. Which would you prefer, patience or impatience? Dumb question. We, we prefer for people to be patient with us, and God has certainly been patient. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness but is long-suffering or patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not want anybody on the face of this earth to perish. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that people might be saved, to seek and to save those who were lost. He, his desire is that all come to repentance, and therefore he's long-suffering to us. Sometimes we might think, well, In a long time, Jesus has not come back. It is true. I was talking about this with somebody earlier today that that a, a thousand years is like a day and a day like a thousand years. So in a sense, if you use that analogy, how long has it been since Jesus died on the cross and rose again? About two days. 
from God's perspective. That's not our perspective. Even though we get older and we think time's passing quickly, it's not passing that quickly. But the reality is that God is not slack. He has promised that he's going to come back, and he will. But he wants everybody to get saved. He wants everyone to come to repentance. God's patience is amazing. Romans 2.4 says this, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Now, there are times that people are enjoying life. Things are going well for them. And they're, they're thinking, well, you know, I have heard about Jesus, and I'd like to, to maybe trust him as my Savior one of these days. But right now, things are going great. You know why things are going great? One reason might be that God wants you to come to repentance, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. God's patience is amazing, but let's add, that, add to that. Not only is God's patience amazing, but God's patience is amazing but limited. In other words, there, there comes a time when God runs out of patience. Not fun to think about, but that's the reality. We just talked about the fact that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4. It goes on to say this in Romans chapter 2 verses 5 and 6. But in accordance with your hardness... And your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. So often we hear that God is a God of love, and he is. We talked about his amazing love, the fact that he did not spare his son, but let Jesus die on the cross for each and every one of us. But God is also a God of wrath. And if we don't believe, if we don't trust Jesus Christ as Savior, then we experience his wrath. His patience is amazing, but it's limited. It only goes a certain amount of time. God's love and God's wrath is seen in John chapter 3. We've talked about this in in, in recent days. John chapter 3, beginning to read at verse number 16. You might be familiar with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so... For for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He wants us to be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. That's good news. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. It goes on to say in verse number 36, this is John speaking, he who believes in the son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. God's word is clear that each and every one of us have opportunity to be saved. But if we don't believe, if we don't trust Christ as Savior, then eventually we're going to experience the wrath of God forever in a place called hell. Not something fun to think about, but it's true. And it's important for us to think about the truth, the recognition that God's patience is amazing, but it is limited. Three things. Number one, God's love is amazing. Wouldn't you agree with that? Isn't it amazing how much God loved us, enough to send his son to die for us? God's power is amazing. He's powerful enough to save us, to change us, to use us. God's patience is amazing. But God's patience is limited. 
There's no telling if you don't say yes to Jesus Christ, if he might come back later on today. Wouldn't this be a great day for Jesus Christ to come back? If you don't say yes, you could get in an accident on the way home. All of you probably know people who have died in accidents over the last couple of years. It could be you. It could be me. And if we have not said yes to Jesus Christ, then we have said no to Jesus Christ, and we will spend eternity apart from him. God's patience is amazing. But we need to make sure that we respond by repenting and by believing, by turning from our sin, changing our mind, and trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, depending on him to save us, to change us, and to use us. How do we respond to this message? I think there are four ways. Number one, thank God for his love. Do you appreciate God's love? Do you let him know that you appreciate his love? Do you tell him on a regular basis, Lord, thank you so much for loving me, for sending your son. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Number two, thank God for his power. Because the fact is that even though without Jesus we can do nothing, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He can save us. He can change us. He can use us as we trust in him. Number three, thank God for his patience. But don't, don't take advantage of it. Don't risk his patience running out. Instead, recognize that today is the day of salvation. Today is the best day to trust Jesus Christ as Savior if you're not saved. And if you are saved, to say, Lord, please change me. Transform me by the renewing of my mind and use me to accomplish your purpose. We need to thank God for his love, for his power, for his patience. And we need to finally depend on God to save us, to change us, and to use us. Makes sense, doesn't it? We live in a society in which we have a lot of distractions around us. Wouldn't you agree with that? For some of us, it's just work. We're, we're workaholics. We're, spend, we're expected to spend a lot of hours at work. And we, when we go home, sometimes we work as well. For some of us, it might be family. And family is a good thing. But the reality is, whether it's a good thing or not, whether, whether it's family or, or, or work or whether it's sports or, or whether it's shopping or whether it's cutting the grass or whatever it might be, none of those are as important as our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we need to make sure that we depend on God to save us, to change us, to use us. And he can do so. Because of his amazing love, his amazing power, his amazing patience. He can do so because Jesus died and he rose again so that we might have everlasting life if we trust in him. How do we trust in him? We've never said yes to Jesus Christ. It's just a matter of praying. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But I know Jesus died for me. And right now I turn from my sin and depend on Jesus to save me and give me everlasting life. As simple, is it not? But that's what God wants, is simple faith in him so that he might save us and change us and use us. If we have indeed trusted Christ as Savior, let's not continue in complacency and mediocrity. But instead, let's depend on God to change us and use us for his honor and for his glory. Easter is sometimes a new start. It takes place in the spring. There's a, there's a newness in the air. 
there, there's more grass to be cut and, and bushes to be trimmed and stuff like that. I guess that's, that's, that's sort of good news and bad news. But the fact that Jesus died on the cross and he, he lets us have newness of life, he, he makes us new creations when we trust him, that is good news indeed. And we need to make sure that we are depending on him to save us, to change us, and to use us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you will use this Easter Sunday morning as an opportunity for us to truly walk in newness of life. If we haven't said yes to Christ and trusted him as Savior, I pray we'll do so today. If we have, I pray that you will change us and that you will help us to accomplish what you want to for your honor and for your glory. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for this day and pray that you'll work out your perfect will in and through us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.